podcast where liberty is our mission this podcast is for thursday march 28th 2013 and it is podcast number 291 my name is ben stone and with me via skype is my sometime co-host full-time daughter and current mountaineer kai hi kai (laughs) hello i don't know that i've quite earned the uh the title of mountaineer (laughs) Have you, have you tried yodeling yet I have not tried yodeling, but let me tell you something. Those little emergency survival whistles that you get, that they're like, you know, blow the whistle and so people can find you. Those only work if there are people around. <laughs> There's a vital really? flaw in that plan. So we might as well, well, you know what, let me, let me give a quick commercial for Pork Fest and for the uh, uh, Freedom Expo before we get going. Um, Pork Fest 10 or Pork Fest X is June 17th through 23rd, 2013 at Rogers Campground, Lancaster, New Hampshire. Do they pronounce it like that? Or do they th- pronounce it like... I think in New Hampshire, it's La- it's Lancaster. I know in Pennsylvania, it's Lancaster. In California, it's Lancaster. So I'm not sure how they pronounce it in New Hampshire. In California, but... they practically put a D and make it Landcaster, but not quite. Anyway, <laughs> off the topic... So uh, Porkfest is going to be a hoot, a lot of fun, all kinds of stuff going on. It's uh, the Liberty event of the year, in my opinion. Now, also, we have the Seacoast Annual Freedom Expo coming up Saturday, April 27, 2013, in Exeter, New Hampshire, at the Exeter Town Hall. And um, it's a free event. It's an all-day event. There's all kinds of stuff going on. You don't have to register ahead of time. Just show up and have fun. Again, April 27th at the Exeter, New Hampshire uh, Town Hall. And if you have some kind of Liberty event that's coming up, uh, drop me an email, bad, badquaker at badquaker.com, and, we'll, we'll, and, and someone on the staff will um, get me a, a thing so that I can give you a free commercial on the air for it. Uh, we, I will be updating the information on the Michigan um, Liberty get-together pretty soon, and so I'll have information on that as well. Okay, so, Kai. And now, and you're actually, you're a speaker at Porkfest X, right? Yes, I'll be talking Monday and Friday, at least, maybe more. And you'll be there with the RV giving out, like, tacos and stuff, right? <laughs> we, haven't deci- <laughs> we haven't decided if we'll resurrect our free food and argument uh, <laughs> booth or <laughs> and, not. And spelling lessons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why don't you outline that situation real quick? Because that was a lot of fun. Oh, that was a lot of fun last year. Uh, we were at we were at Porkfest, and we had set up our uh, campsite, and we were giving out free food. And um, I had made up a sign that said "free f- food and arguments," but I spelled arguments wrong. 
because I'm not good at spelling. And so then uh, I switched it out and added and spelling lessons. <laughs> and we did have some pretty fun characters that stopped by uh, for free food and argument, but we didn't actually argue. I mean, it stayed really uh, fairly calm. No, it was all discussions. It was all very, I don't, I don't think I saw, with the exception of the Gary Johnson people, um, I don't think there was anybody who caused any kind of ruckus. Yeah. Which is and interesting considering it was a bunch of drunk people open carrying. <laughs> and it was totally calm. The, uh, and, the, and we should be specific, the Gary Johnson problem happened um, early in the morning. Was it Sunday morning when everyone was breaking up? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was early Sunday morning. The Gary Johnson people left before everybody else left. And before dawn, while it was still dark, they went all through the whole campground and stuck material, uh, things, junk, in people's windshields and so forth, uh, which is one thing to do that in a parking lot. You know, if you're at the Walmart and you're putting your little advertisements on people's windshields, that's one thing. But when you come up to people's campsites and mess with their cars, that's a really good way to get shot or have your arms broken, or have the holy crap beat out of you for touching somebody's vehicle in a campground. Absolutely. I, I was livid because I was sleeping in my Jeep. Like, and, and they came up and put stuff on my Jeep when I was sleeping inside of it. And, uh, and they are very lucky they left directly after that because yeah. there was a lot of people very unhappy at them. Yeah. If you want to guarantee that you're not going to get your, your little status politician elected to something, you need to really go around and piss people off like that. I mean, that's, that's how yeah. you do it if you, you want to guarantee, especially with a bunch of people that are either anarchists or borderline anarchists. You know, yeah. messing with their campsites is not smart. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> I think they were a little mad, though, that it was so heavily pro-Ron Paul and, you know, them being the official libertarian candidate really got, like, snubbed a little bit. But it was not a libertarian event. It is not a libertarian event. Um, and most people there were not libertarians, you know. It's a, it's a wide mix. You know, uh, there's a little bit of everything. And, you know, some people don't define and themselves in any way. And uh, what I mean by libertarian isn't so much the uh, the idea and the concept of libertarian as it is the libertarian party. You know what I mean? Right. You know. So. Yeah, it was it was not a libertarian party event. It was yeah. a it was a um, free state project event. And there are people in the free state project that are Democrats, Republicans, libertarians, anarchists, you know, ANCAPs, voluntarists. Uh, there, there's everything. It's not a specifically a libertarian party event and they shouldn't have felt, uh, you know, the right to go around and mess with people's camps like that. Exactly. And even if it was a libertarian event, that still does not give you the right to come up and put anything on m my vehicle, on my property. Especially when you're sleeping in it. Yeah. You know, property <laughs> rights are the foundation of libertarian and free liberty thinking and if you can't respect property rights, you have no business in the liberty movement or the the liberty mission, as as we're saying now. You know, and, and I don't want to just keep harping on this same topic, but also anytime you're in a campground, there's certain 
accepted etiquette. And I understand that not everybody camps all the time, so not everybody understands that. But uh, there's there's some general etiquette. Like if you have a, a specific campsite and people are in there and they're filling it, you don't just cut. You don't, when you're walking through the area, you don't just cut like right between them and their vehicle or right between their their RV and their you know their pit fire or whatever. Um, you you kind of work your way around people and give them some space as you have to cut through the the areas and give them privacy. And you don't make like you don't look in the windows of of campers or tents even if you can. You just yeah. don't. You avert your eyes. It's it's the you know the fact of the matter is for that time period that you are occupying that space that is your house and it needs to be treated like it's somebody's house. You know, if I'm walking down the street and I want to get to the local you know, quick stop or whatever, I'm not going to cut through somebody's backyard. I'm going to take the road around. And it's the same thing at a campsite. Treat it like you would treat any other neighborhood. You know, and this is, we're talking about etiquette here, and this is something that people could learn in a neighborhood as well. If you're doing something like, if you're going door-to-door, dropping off uh, door hanger advertisements, or you're doing door-to-door sales of some kind, anything like that, um, a really good way to get homeowners upset is to just cut through yard to yard instead of walking on the sidewalk and walking up the walkway. Because if you have especially older people that really take care of their yards, you go cutting across their yard and uh, and you're going to make an enemy really quick. Yep. And especially and, in areas like I know growing up in like out in the desert, you don't walk on the grass because it's so hard to grow. You know, yeah. and, and so that mentality is sort of ingrained into my mind and to where it, I find it really difficult to even just cut across somebody's yard like or or grass in a parking lot or anything like that. Like in my mind, it's like that takes effort to grow. Somebody is growing that on purpose. I'm not just going to trample it. Yeah. And, and the, the, you know, there's the Internet joke of the old man and get off my lawn and stuff like that. And I understand a lot of young people don't actually understand that. But when you do have an old person and they really spend a lot of their effort on their yard and they take a lot of pride in their yard, um, you know, for some punk to come walking through with pizza coupons and just trample across your, your flowers or whatever. It's the uh, same it's, con. Uh, sorry. It's the same concept as like, if you have a really awesome CD collection and somebody comes in with like greasy pizza fingers and just like rifles through it and doesn't properly put them back in order or anything like that, anything that you've put time and effort into and then to have somebody just disrespect it, 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 that hurts like that burns because deep inside human beings, we do understand property rights you know, that's from birth. A baby knows property rights. So that is an ingrained in your brain. It's there. You know property rights and you know when somebody's violated yours. Yeah, you know, I, I, I had a talk uh, with somebody the other day and I made a blunder um, because I was talking about how um, certain morals are inherent as a human. You're born with them, you stick with them. And I didn't clarify that correctly because when I think of morals, I think of things like Property rights, respect of property, uh, non-aggression, um, I, I think of those things as morals. But by confusing the topic by me using the word morals, 
um, or I may have even said ethics, but I think I said morals. I confused the topic because the the other person I was talking to was thinking of things in reference to morals like, you know, uh, whether a woman should wear scarves from head to toe and cover herself or whether, you know, uh, uh, being on a topless beach is acceptable or, you know, whether you can use naughty language in public. They thought, you know, the, by my misuse of the word morals, they thought that's what I was referring to, like like we inherit that kind of stuff and and we don't that's all that's all cultural variations that are placed upon us by other people but the true things that we inherit whether you want to call it morals or whether you want to call it principles or whether you want to call it just instinct you yeah. know is a right of property and um and don't aggress on me now you you might have to learn I won't aggress on you but it's natural to understand, don't aggress on me. And it's natural to understand, I own me, and I own these certain things that I've got my hands on. That, that's all, that all comes natural to humans. Yeah, well, and not only humans, um, other animals as well. You know, you, when you go to take a, a, a bone away from a dog, they understand that that's theirs, you know, dogs will understand this is my bed or, you know, this is my human or any, you know, monkeys understand this is my banana that I just worked for. You know, property rights are a natural right. They're a natural law. And speaking of like a dog, you can you can break a dog's spirit by, you know, excessive discipline, by the abuse of love, uh, and by that what I mean is, you know, the dog loves its owner in, in an almost unimaginable way and will do almost anything to please its owner. So if the owner, um, you know, teaches the dog not to respect its own property and, and not to protect its own property and so forth, the dog learns that not because it's natural, but because it has so much love for its owner, then it says, okay, fine, you know, you say... I can't have my bed, then okay, I won't have my bed, I'll, I'll be over here. Or, uh, you know, the owner gives the dog a bone and then walks up and takes it away and dares him to growl or bite or anything. Well, um, and, and there's a good reason, if you have a dog around, little kids especially, there's a good reason to let the dog know that he can't bite the little kids no matter what, you know. But at the same time, you, you have to work past that natural tendency of the dog to say, no, that's mine, and I own that, and I'll growl and, and try to protect it, you know. Um, you, can, you can teach the dog around that, or you can break its spirit, or you can use a variety of techniques to get the dog to behave unnaturally. But the natural tendency of the dog is to protect what's his. Exactly, and you don't have to teach a dog to do that. You have to right. teach a dog not to do that, but you don't have to teach really any animal to have property rights. Yeah, it's it's pretty natural now, and and I've talked about this before that different animals um, ha have uh, a different. You know, it, it, we develop these things over eons of time, and they're for the purpose of protecting our species. So uh, when when you know when a duck inherits the ability to know north from south and knows that this when the season is like this he needs to fly south, and when the season gets like this he needs to fly north. That stuff is built into him, hardwired into his brain, and um, uh, and property rights, uh, individual to humans, are the same way. Um, they're there because that's what it takes for our our species to be as successful as possible and survive. 
So if you take another species, uh, it might have a very similar but different um, uh, variation of property rights. So I've, you know, I talk a lot about, say, squirrels. Um, once a squirrel is holding on to a piece of food, no other squirrel will even attempt to take it from him. They may come up and try to sniff it, but they won't actually try to actively take it from him. But if, he, if that same squirrel goes over and buries it, other squirrels will watch him bury it. And the second he moves away from it, they're more than happy to go steal it. Because within the squirrel world, within, within the species, um, their property rights end the second they let go of it. So it's not like a human where, you know, I put my mark on something or whatever and put it down. Or, you know, there's a famous study where they took um, uh, chairs in public places like public cafeterias and libraries and things like that. And they would take a chair and put a, a coat on that chair. And then they w- they, this would be at a very, very busy time where, where there's a lack of chairs. And it didn't matter, almost no matter how crowded the place got, no one would try to take that chair that had a coat hanging on it. Because that's an understanding that someone has property there. Is, is so, uh, so people would literally stand and hold their plate of food and eat, rather than go and move the coat from an empty chair and take the chair. It's, it's, that's just a human thing. But the squirrels are under no such obligation. As soon as you let go of, of your property, it's not your property anymore. It's open for theft. And there's no squirrel punishment for theft. And, and we've talked about this in our, um, in our uh, series on children and raising children. Um, the, the idea of trying to teach your children that they have to share is so unnatural. And that's why so many parents have such a problem teaching, you know, oh, little Betty or little Susie or whatever to share because it goes against nature. That's not a natural thing to do. Uh, exactly. And that might be confusing for some people, but, uh, but, but really, I mean. Charity is a very human instinct. And I've actually, right. I've, I've run into that um, out here on the trail. There are, what, there are hiker boxes. And basically, whatever you don't want, you put in the hiker box. And somebody else might need it, you know. And there are half packages of Ziploc baggies and, you know, half packages of tortillas where somebody had bought it, only needed half of it and put it in the hiker box. Because when you are under no aggressive force, human beings are incredibly charitable. But when you are under force and you're being forced to be charitable, you are far less likely to be charitable. Yeah, I hate to say it, but when a parent does that, you're actually teaching the child to submit to theft. But if they know that they're secure in their property rights and they know that they're not going to have their toys taken away from them and they know that those are theirs, children will share. Right, exactly. Because they have no fear of it not coming back to them. It, it's, a, it's a comfort level. Uh, once they get to a certain level of comfort to know how people are going to react and whether or not their things are secure, then they react to that level of comfort. I, I've, I've, uh, I've noticed, you know, we have this little dog, Nikki, and she had a very insecure life for many years. She was, in all likelihood, she was with the family for a while, then there was separation issues. She probably, as best as we can tell, she probably was raised with a sibling, and then all of a sudden, uh, she was separated from that sibling. 
And so she has a real hard time bonding with other animals because she always, uh, you know, she's had that separation issue. And then she's had a situation where she's been around a lot of cats that were mean to her. And she's been around humans that at times have neglected her. So when we first got her, she was real insecure about things like um, letting us know she needed to go outside and uh, and food. She she wasn't sure when she would get her next food. So any food that was available, she would immediately gobble it down, and then she'd come and beg for more, even though she had clearly eaten you know far more than enough than she would need. But as she's been with us now for a few years, and she's learned that we're never going to just leave her in the house with, you know, with no opportunity to go outside and go to the bathroom. We're never going to do that. She's always going to have the opportunity to go outside. Now she never wets in the floor. And once she starts to learn that, there, that she's never going to be hungry, there's always going to be food available, then all of a sudden the begging is not a problem because she, she is now gaining confidence that she, she, she knows that we're always going to behave in a certain way. And because of that, she's not misbehaving. Uh, you know, the, the previous owners of different, at different times have thought that she was misbehaving. Well, she wasn't misbehaving. She was just reacting the best she could, given the unpredictable, unpredictable circumstances that she was facing. Yeah, and it's consistency is really key in, in most of those situations. Yeah, especially, with, well, with kids and dogs. I mean, you know, people shouldn't be offended. Uh, we're, we're talking about, you know, animals. Uh, humans are animals. And children, in very many ways, uh, or I should say it the other way around, dogs, in very many ways, are like uh, three- to five-year-old children. There, there's vast similarities. Yeah, well, and they've done studies that show that the, that dogs have about the same vocabulary, like they understand the same number of words as about a three to five year old. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, like mental development. They're about the same. And, and that's important too with a dog, especially, but it's true with a child is to consistently use the same words for the same things and not be switching around all the time. If you want them to learn, especially with, you know, dogs, because uh, dogs get to that point and they don't change a whole lot where humans continue to develop. But if you want a dog to always know what outside means, then you always use that word in the same context. If you always wanted them to know what no means, you, you know, you always use it in the same context. Um, and it, that's important with kids, too. Unpredictability breeds, breeds insecurity. That's a pretty good note for us to take a break and save this file and stick a commercial in here and then come back in about a minute. Sounds good. Would you like to do something to support BadQuaker.com? Here's how easy it is. If you're already going to buy something from Amazon, go to BadQuaker.com first. Click on any of the buttons for Amazon. Once at Amazon, shop like you normally would. You'll pay the same price for the things you buy from Amazon, but Amazon will give BadQuaker.com a tiny portion of that purchase. It's amazingly easy to shop at Amazon, it won't cost you any extra, and you'll be supporting BadQuaker.com. Thank you. Thanks for sticking with us through the commercial. And um, so, Kai, let's move away from the other topic and talk about your adventures in uh, Appalachia. <laughs> oh, and what adventures they have been. Um, so I've come to the conclusion that I'm pretty sure the trail's trying to kill me. 
fairly the trail, actively. The trail tries to kill everybody. That's its job. <laughs> we actually, I've, I just found out today that we have had more snow um, in the past three weeks here than they had all year last year. Wow. Yeah, it's been, it's been really cold here. So um, you were in a pretty bad situation where you ended up having to take unusual uh, steps to stay alive. Yeah, I, uh, I had gotten separated from the group that I was hiking with um, just through sort of that happens a lot. People hike at different speeds and people, you know, don't get up and don't want to hike that day or feeling not great and whatever. And other people continue to hike forward. So I had gotten kind of disconnected from my group and I started out hiking and my thought process was, well, I don't hike very fast and they all hike pretty fast but they, they don't hike very long. Like they, they hike quickly, but they stop every day pretty early. Um, so I was like, well, I'll just keep hiking until I catch up with them. Like it, it'll be a nice, slow, long day where I'll just hike until I get to them. Um, and so I started out and I hiked all day and it was raining. It was decently warm all day. I never really felt cold all day, but I was getting steadily like more and more soaking wet because when you're hiking, raincoats only keep you so dry. And even if it's not allowing rain to come in, they don't breathe. So you end up getting wet from sweat inside. So you're still ended up wet, you know? So I was pretty, pretty soaked and I ended up getting to, it's called Albert Mountain, and it's this fire tower overlook mountain. And the trail, it's a, you have to climb the mountain. You can't hike up it. It's a climb. You have to use your hands and your feet and pull yourself up, and it is a climb. It's like rock climbing. Um, but there's a trail around that. So you can skip that whole mountain, and most people do or a good percentage of people do. And that was what my intention was. I was just going to, they call it blue blazing because any of the side trails, the Appalachian trail itself is marked with white blazes on the trees, like uh, two by four inch blazes, uh, just stripes of white. And all of the side trails are marked with blue blazes. So they call it blue blazing when you take a side trail. So I had decided that I was just going to blue blaze around that mountain but I didn't realize that that was the mountain because I didn't have any maps or anything like that, which I have now remedied, by the way. Um, so I had gotten maybe a third, half the way up the mountain before I realized, oh, this is that mountain. And so I went back down because it was raining and it was getting dark. And it was like, if I try to climb this mountain, I'm going to fall and I'm going to like break my leg and I'm going to die, you know? And so I come back down the mountain and I start looking for the blue blaze to go around it. And I think that I find it and I start following it and it goes for a little ways. And then there's this huge down tree blocking the whole path. And so I'm like, Oh man. Okay. Well I turn around and I go back and I'm like, well maybe Maybe that was an old blue blaze and they've rerouted because there was another blue blaze trail that 
split off at that same point. So I was like, okay, I'll follow that one. So I start following that one down and it just dead ends me into the middle of a forest service road in the middle of the Nantahala forest in North Carolina in the dark at like 10 o'clock at night, nobody around freezing rain. I'm soaked through and I'm, I, uh, I have a hammock. I don't have a tent. Um, and in the hammock, I really, I have not been able to actually get it to where it keeps the rain out. Like, I have not been able to do that. And plus, hammocks are really, really cold because the wind comes up underneath you and it's just, it's a really cold thing to be in. So I was like, if I try to set up my hammock, that's not going to go well. I'm going to be cold all night. I'm probably going to get some form of hypothermia. This is a bad idea. So I ended up... uh, I was like, okay, so my options are I can hike back to the shelter, which I started out at like 9 o'clock that morning at, or I can keep walking down this forest road. And my thought process, I have a lot of faith in roads. You know, just because of my lifestyle, roads lead to other roads, and roads always lead to civilization. So at some point or another, down this road will be a car or a person or a house, something. So I just start walking down this road and uh, it's getting colder and colder and colder and the rain changes to freezing sleet rain and I'm just utterly drenched and I'm sitting there thinking like, this is a scenario where people die. Like legitimately people die in this exact situation that I am in. And it, it was kind of frightening. So um, how long did you hike on that road before you came to anything indicating civilization? Um, I, think it, I think I hit, there was like this little parking area with a couple of cars in it. And I hit that at about 1 o'clock, 1.30 in the morning. And there was no place for, there was like no shelter area. There was no place for me to get out of the rain. So I knew that I couldn't stay there, but I knew that I kind of wanted to be in that area so that in the morning I could be in that parking lot area and people coming down into their cars, I could maybe hitch a ride out. So I went down a little bit further and there was a campground uh, that's run by the National Forest And I thought, ooh, a campground, maybe there will be people there. And I didn't realize that it was closed for the season. It doesn't open until April. So I go down in the campground and I'm trying to, like, find somebody or, you know, anything like that. But there's nobody there. And so there's this campground office and it had a big, like, covered porch area. So I was like, all right, well, this is the best spot that I've seen that I can be out of the rain And I can just kind of hunker down here until the morning. And in the morning, I'll hike back up to that parking area and maybe somebody will be there. Um, So that's what I ended up doing. And thank goodness that my sleeping bag was dry uh, because that's the only thing really that kept me from having hypothermia was the fact that I could take off my wet clothes and get in my sleeping bag and be dry. So I spent the night there and... uh, At about 4 o'clock in the morning, the phone 
in the campground office started ringing and it kind of like, I don't know, it broke something in my brain to know that there was one locked door between me and a human being, you know? <laughs> so I, I was like, well, I'm going to try to, to break into this campground office because that's a phone and there's a possibility I'm going to die. I'm pretty sure this is justified, you know? And uh, so I tried to break in that, that night and I could not do it. I could not get through the door at all. I guess they had some sort of tempered bear proof glass on the door or something. I don't know, but I couldn't get through. Ended up breaking my favorite knife. I was so mad. So I just, I laid back down and I was like, because I had turned the porch light on, I had plugged in the, the light, and I was like, well, maybe it was a ranger who saw the light and is calling to see if there's, like, a legitimate reason that the person is here and not getting any answer. Maybe they'll come investigate, which they didn't. Um, so I don't know who it was that was calling. But in the morning, I woke up, and I was covered in several inches of snow, and don't you hate I, that? I know. And like the thing is, in my sleeping bag, I was pretty warm. Um, I wasn't, you know, what I would call comfortably warm, but I wasn't actively shivering. It, you know, it was a little uncomfortable, but it was it was warm enough to live. And I peek my head out and I look at all of my clothes because, you know, the night before I had hung up all of my clothes so that maybe they would dry, and they were all frozen. So I'm looking at my clothes and I'm like, it's probably a half a mile hike back up to that parking area. And in order to do that, I have to put on frozen clothes and hike through the snow. And it was just like, I'm never going to make that. Like, that's, that is not going to happen. I can't do that. So I, I, I turn my head and I look and my, my backpack is sitting right next to me and I see my tent stakes. Now, my tent stakes are, uh, they're just, they're Walmart tent stakes, but they're the kind that, they almost look like the big, heavy-duty nails that you can get from the hardware store, um, mm -hmm. and they have the little green top on them, and several times, I've been made fun of on this trail for carrying such heavy stakes, <laughs> and I look over, and I see the stake, and I was like, I bet I could get into the window with that. And so I pick it up and I put it in between the two panes of, of glass on the window and I twist it and the whole bottom part of the window just pops right out of its tracks and opens right up. It took less than a minute. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, really, really, it's that easy? You know, I spent all night sitting here on the porch and I could have just been in there with a phone so I climb in and I get the phone and I call 911 and I get a busy signal. <laughs> and I'm just like, at this point, you reach this point where you're just in such disbelief of the entire situation that you're just like, of course, of course there's a busy signal on 911. Why wouldn't there be a busy signal on 911? Like, it was just, it was so surreal. It was one of those things where if it had happened in a movie, you would have been like, that's totally unrealistic. And you wouldn't have, you, you wouldn't have believed it at all. And so to find myself in that situation was just 
absolutely absurd. Oh, uh, so who did you end up calling? Well, I ended up, I, I kind of searched through the, the office area and I found the business card of the Rangers, like the Ranger station. So I ended up calling the Rangers and I got this receptionist and I was like, I'm really cold and I'm not able to hike anymore and I've just broken into this campground office. What do I do? And she goes, well, when you say you broke in, did you actually break the window? And I was like, well, no, I just popped it out of its, out of its track. And she goes, oh, okay. Well, would you like me to send a sheriff or would you like me to send a shuttle for you? Because you're going to have to pay if I send a, sh- a shuttle. <laughs> and I was like, I just told you that I broke into national forest property and you're asking me if I'd like a a sheriff to show up or a shuttle, sir. Shuttle, please. I'll take the shuttle. Like, what? How is this? How are you not like arresting me for this? Oh, yes. I'll take the one that doesn't have a a gun, a club and pepper spray and the power trip. (laughs) So, but she seemed like, she seemed like it was not the first time that this had happened. Like she was so like just nonchalant about the whole thing. And like, she didn't ask me cause the thing is like, I'm really quite grateful that nine one one didn't answer. Yeah. They probably would have sent actual cops, at least cops or, or firefighters. Either way, at the very least I would have ended up at the hospital. Like, there's no way that they would have, they may have arrested me, and they definitely would have sent me to a hospital to make sure that I didn't have hypothermia. Um, But she didn't ask me any, like, she wasn't like, can you feel your fingertips, and can you move, and nothing. It was just like, all right, I'll send somebody to pick you up, like, wait there. So, like, my first breaking and entering was on federal property, and I called a federal agent, and they didn't care. (laughs) Sometimes the Homer effect is useful <laughs> when dealing with government. So I Homer Simpson that is. Yeah, so I don't know what I don't know what the uh I left him a note and I was like I'm really sorry that I broke in. I I ate one of the cliff bars there because they had a, a cliff bar sitting on the shelf and I was like, well, I'm going to eat that cuz Let's uh, let's break early for this break because we're starting to get some uh, typical um, Skype met- metallic sounds. So let's uh, let's save this file. We'll break, stick in a commercial, and um, and reconnect with Skype and see if we can get rid of that bad sound. So we'll be right back, folks. I, I think we're okay. I think it's gone. So we'll just pick right back up and um, take off on the same topic. Uh, so you were, you know, covered in snow and everything. They were able to rescue you, take you to, well, well, you actually went to a uh, motel and kind of dried out and warmed up for a couple days. Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny on Facebook. I was sort of talking about your, you know, adventures and everything. And one of the listeners sent me, um, a, a link to Facebook people that he knows that are actually on the, on the Appalachian trail and that, uh, made that same trek in that same time frame and ended up there in Franklin uh, uh, Monday. They they went oh, in. Wow. They yeah. I got, and so I you went into Franklin Monday. They were literally, you know, other than the being trapped and and almost eaten by bears and having to break into. I, I made up the bears part, but <laughs> no, you didn't. 
No, I didn't tell you about that bit. No. Um, tell me about okay. the bears. Well, there weren't. There, I did not actually have a bear encounter. However, in big bold letters on this sign on the campground office was, "Do not leave any food out or in your tent because there are aggressive bears here that they have had several issues with." So I'm sitting here on the front porch of this campground office underneath this sign that says there are aggressive bears in the region and I have a backpack full of old tuna wrappers and cookie wrappers and I'm sitting here going I reek of cookies and dead fish in an area with aggressive bears. Awesome. Bears like food and I'm made of food. Funny how that works. So well, yeah, that was... That was in my brain all night, too. I was like, I'm going to get eaten by a bear, or I'm going to freeze to death, or this is not going to end well. This is the kind of thing that people end up on the Discovery Channel like, I shouldn't be alive, you know? And then it's okay. I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm like, I don't even have any good painkillers if a bear attacks me. I got nothing. It was terrible. It's okay, though, because the bears in Appalachia are not that big. They're kind of like oversized dogs. Well, so, and I hear that they like to play banjos and sing and have country bear bands. <laughs> oh, my. Everything I know I learned from <laughs> Disney. So now we should get over on this other topic um, before we completely um, waste our whole time talking about other things. Oh, you're cutting out pretty badly. So since we're having troubles, we'll try to... Uh, get to the point as quick as possible, and um, maybe uh, that way if we lose each other, we can still at least have something coherent on the topic that we wanted to talk about. Okay. The main point and the main irritation was that I was, I actually ended up before where I started the night, the, the morning before. I had actually hiked around to prior to where I started, and the the uh, the little pass that I was at was the pass that I had been trying to get to all night. And what I didn't know is that there was a Blue Blaze trail from the campsite that I had camped the morning before, and it was like five miles directly down to the parking lot. Wow. Yeah. So that whole thing, I could have I could have hiked that in a couple hours and been and totally been out of the whole thing and would not have had to deal with any of that. So you think the map is going to help on a lot of that stuff now? I think so. I, uh, I've got some, some warmer weather gear, um, which I think will be a lot, will be very helpful. Um, I've got a map now and I've also decided that I'm not hiking alone anymore because well, I apparently cannot be trusted to follow the trail. Well, that's probably a good start. Yeah. So, you know, daytime, not, a, not alone, probably will not be hiking in the rain anymore, at least until it warms up. Um, and, you know, I'll just, uh, I'll just be more cautious and try not to die. So now on a totally unrelated note, there's a guy who evidently is not very far from where you're at, and, you know, all things being relative. Um, and I believe his name is Estes Conway. We're not sure about the actual pronunciation of his name. But having seen other names, uh, other Appalachian-type names like Estes, uh, that's, that's how, in eastern Kentucky, that's how we would have pronounced this guy's name. Let's put it that way, Estes Conway. 
True, but in Eastern Kentucky, um, you pronounce many names not the way that they are supposed to be pronounced. <laughs> yeah, like on the front of the courthouse, them things is called pillars, and that that fluffy thing you put your head on is also called a pillar. And you go to wash your clothes. You wash your clothes, and if you've been working on the road, you got to try to wash the tar off of them. Oh, because, and, you know, and, and you live in a holler. You live in a holler, and you know when you drive on the tar on the roads, you use the tars on your car to to transport you on the road. <laughs> I, so thought, now, I thought we weren't making fun of regional dialects. Didn't we already decide we weren't going to do that? So now that we've upset half the population of Appalachia, where oh, you happen to be hiking that. through in the next few weeks. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, back to the topic before we lose our Skype connection again. So Estes Conway um, is this guy who lives in South Carolina or North Carolina? I, I can't I remember he, if he's in. I think it's North. Could be, I believe. Um well, he has this uh, area called, what was the name of the wildlife area? Turtle Island Turtle Reserve. Island. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and it's in North Carolina. Here's, here's a wiki article. So, yeah, so he is in North Carolina, and he has this area called the Turtle Island Preserve. And he, um, he, he kind of has done this back-to-nature thing all his life. He was, um, at like 17, he moved away from home so that he could live in a teepee in the woods. He has hiked the Appalachian Trail, and he evidently holds the, the record for crossing the U.S. from the Atlantic to the Pacific on horseback. And so he's been living in the woods in a rustic conditions uh, similar to the 1800s uh, for years, I guess like 30 years, 20-some years, something like that, that he has uh, developed this, this property at Turtle Island Preserve, and it's something like 100 Hundred acres or something like that. Thousand, thousand acres. It's a thousand acres that he has at Turtle Island Preserve. Wow! And for some odd reason, the government has noticed him and noticed that his facility uh, doesn't uh, doesn't come up to local building code on one hundred percent of the things that he has built out there. And he does something. He does. Uh, he does things like he builds his own log cabins. He shows, he does demonstrations on how in the 17 and 1800s, how they would fell a tree and how they would debark the tree and how they would, uh, you know, hew it to the, to the proper shapes that they needed. He shows how, how they used to live off the land, uh, farming the thing, the things that he needs. And he does demonstrations and so forth for people, uh, you know, school uh, uh, groups and, and activity, you know, churches, things like that, that come out and he does these demonstrations for them. So uh, evidently the government figured out that this guy sitting on this thousand acre chunk of land is not up to code on 100% of his stuff. So they're making the first steps, and, and we've seen this happen so many times, you know, they, they do it over and over and over in different places. But they're making what are obviously the first steps to eventually taking his 1,000-acre uh, land. Because what they'll do is they begin the punishing process, and they begin you know, forcing you to make all the steps uh, this specific uniform size and make sure that you have all the up-to-code plumbing and all the up-to-code electrical and all the up-to-code roofing and all the up-to-code everything so that they cost you a fortune and you can never, ever, ever satisfy all their demands. 
Yeah. And eventually, I was, I was after say that, I was like, you can't win. No, no. Uh, it's designed so that you can't. And so they just keep punishing you, keep punishing you, costing you more and more money constantly until you can't pay your quit rent. You can't pay your property tax. And then as soon as you can't pay your property tax, guess what? Your property's up for auction, and I wonder who ends up buying it. Yep. Yep. And, and I'll, by the I'll way, bet you anything that there is some developer or something that wants that land, and that's the only reason that the government noticed him at all was somebody wants the mineral rights or the water rights or something on that land. And it was a, uh, an individual that complained and turned him in, by the way. It, it yeah. just, it blows my mind. Like it blows my mind that, that people can do that. He was on the TV reality show mountain men on the history channel. Not long ago. Hmm. Well, I mean, it goes to show that the only way to remain free is to remain under the radar. Exactly. Um, that's very much it. Uh, I have put in a, a, an invitation to him to come on the show and tell his story, so I don't know if he'll be able to do that. I don't know how, what, you know, what, how good of communications he has, so I don't know if he actually got the invitation or if he has any interest in it at all, but... Um, but any listener that knows the situation, and there's a lot of people that are upset about his, you know, how he's being treated. So if um, you know any of the listeners that have contact with him, let him know that he has an open invitation on this podcast, and I, I'd love to let him tell his story. Yeah, that would that would be a, a really a nice thing. Plus, uh, you know, you you should anyway because he's got a really awesome beard, from what I saw in his well, pictures. Well, he does that, yes. He trims the... He doesn't cut his mustache completely off. He does like I do. He trims the mustache so that he uh, so that it doesn't interfere, interfere with the uh, with food. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, he has natural cranial hair and uh, terminal length beard and everything. So that's really cool. Nice. Very nice. Which is an affront to the state as it is. It is, very much. Uh, you know, so many people see... Um, uh, terminal length cranial hair or terminal length beard, and they just leap to all kinds of crazy conclusions. It's it's really bizarre. Well, they don't leap to those conclusions. They go to conclusions that have been firmly entrenched entrenched uh, because of mainstream media and state propaganda. Yeah, very true. If you, I've, I've actually written about this. If um, if I'm in a, let's say I'm in a grocery store or I'm out someplace like that where I'm in the public eye. And um, a little kid, in most cases, a little kid that sees me will be unbelievably intrigued, but not afraid. Yeah, in most smile. In most cases. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll, or a little baby. Um, if I get around a little baby, the first thing they want to do is touch my beard. Mm -hmm. they, it, you know, it, it's, it's like it's natural. They want to grab hold of it, and they want to look me in the eye, and they want to look at my beard, and they just stare at it. And actually, that's something that's interesting because if you look at, um, say, you know, a uh, um, a pack of wild wolves or coyotes or a pride of lions, any of the the young the cubs, they will play on the alpha male. You know, they'll bite the ear and they'll tumble all over the alpha male, but they don't do that to the lesser males. That's very true. Um, you see this a lot with gorillas. Uh, the, the big silverback will sit over there and just tolerate 
the little one just climbing all over him, chewing on him, pulling at him, poking in his eyes and stuff. But they, they don't feel comfortable doing that in the lesser males because all the lesser males are trying to, you know, be tough guys and try to win their way up through the ranks or whatever. But the, uh, but the silverback um, just sits there and just looks around and, you know, total confidence, no need to, to discipline the, the, uh, the little baby gorilla or whatever. He just sits there and takes it. Yeah, and, well, and, you know, I mean, it's a sign of um, security in, in, in your position in society. It's funny, too. I've been in situations where I've been walking around, like, again, in a grocery store, that kind of thing, and a really, really old uh, man would uh, just suddenly, you know, like you come around the corner in a grocery store and all of a sudden two people see each other and you're, you're not expecting to see each other. And oftentimes, um, middle-aged people or whatever, you can see the shocked look on their face when they see me, my size, my hair, everything. But very often, if it's a really old man, especially if it's a very feeble man, he'll almost get a half smile on his face. And often, oftentimes they'll, you know, they'll nod or they'll tip their hat or they're, there's a level of comfort there when they see me. And I think it's very much like a child, you know, uh, men, and I'm saying this as a man who's becoming elderly, the older that men get, the more childish they get, the more they revert to that uh, childish nature. And I, th I, think, um, uh, I think they fall back to original thoughts that, that come to us genetically through, like we were talking about how natural rights uh, property and so forth like that is natural even to a child. I think looking to the silverback for protection and comfort is uh, is natural like that? Yeah, I was I was going to say that that there's a level of safety and security there when you know that the dominant, you know, uh, or or warrior or whatever you want to put that uh, archetype as, when you know that person is there and you're not personally threatened by it, there's a great deal of comfort there. As opposed to goofy people that come and knock on my door and then don't go away when I tell them to. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoy that. You do. I know you do. <laughs> Just like but you enjoy the... blowing your whistle at the uh, tele... tele uh, uh, yeah, what do you call telemarketers? Them? Yeah, the telemarketers. <laughs> Blow a rape whistle into the phone when the telemarketers call. Just don't expect that that whistle will keep you alive in the in the wilderness. <laughs> As it turns out, it attracts bears. <laughs> oh, look, that whistle means there's somebody alone with food. I think there's a joke like that. I think there's a, I think there's a photoshopped poster or a photoshopped uh, sign that's supposed to be in a like in a park or whatever that says something about that the bears like um, uh, whistles and pepper spray. And I can't, I can't remember it now, but I, uh, if any of the listeners know what I'm talking about, they're laughing right now. <laughs> <laughs> nice for specifics. Yeah. If I, if I find it, I'll, I'll, I'll steal it and post it on the, in the show notes for today, the, the uh, Photoshop that I'm thinking of. <laughs> So did you, uh, do you know what the, the trail names of those people are that came through at the same time as me? No, um, I can pop over and see if it says it. 
because the, their, their pictures are on Facebook and they're, they, sh- they, they actually took the pictures in the snowstorm with snow all over the place and, and all that kind of thing. It's pretty wild. Nice. Um, yeah, I got word. There. I got word that uh, the shelter that I was because I was going to hike out today from Franklin, and I got word that the shelter was pretty covered in snow. Like the next shelter down the trail, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Well, it's not supposed to snow today. It's supposed to be fairly warm, and it's not supposed to snow tomorrow. It's supposed to be fairly warm, and it's really not supposed to have nasty weather again until Saturday. And I think I can make it to the next town before Saturday." So I was, I'm just going to wait, and I'm going to let it all melt off a little bit. Uh, in Facebook, it tells their actual names because they've tagged them with their actual names. So I'm not sure if they would want that said. Right, right. Know, without, without actually, because I don't know them. Right. So I don't know if they really want their real names said on the air. So out of respect for them, not out of any kind of stupid laws that some government official wants to cram down my throat, but out of voluntary respect for people that I don't know, I'm not going to say their names. Okay, <laughs> that, that's fine. Well, the <laughs> names names are such. Uh, I feel names are such personal things in general. Like names used to have so much power, and people are very free with their names these days, and it it kind of almost makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, Tolkien talked a lot about that actually, and. You can kind of see it if you read, uh, you know, not the movies, but if you actually read the uh, uh, Lord of the R- the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and then you go back and you read um, the Silmarillion, you can you can see um, how Tolkien put into his writings the importance of what name you give other people, what name you know. Some people know you by this name, some people know you by that name, and what your real name is. And you don't tell in 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 Tolkien's world. You tell almost no one your real name because that's a very private thing. That when you release that to someone, you release certain amount of uh, a certain amount of uh, power to them from them knowing your name. Yeah, well, and that's uh, Celtic tradition. Um, Celtic, you know, it, historically the Celtic people had a personal name and they had a public name. And, uh, you know, there's all sorts of mythology involved in that within the realms of, you know, you can't say your real name or the fairies will hear it and then they'll be able to put spells on you and stuff. But anytime that you have a mythological uh, story or fable like that, there's a legitimate reason for it. If you go back in and think about it and think about what the actual meaning of that story is, there's almost always an actual real life reason that that has come about. And the story behind it is just a story to make it easy to remember and entertaining and all of that. But the actual idea behind it is always a legitimate idea. Yeah, and in Celtic life, if you think about it, um, their their writing that they had was very rudimentary. It was functional. It it served a purpose, but it was very rudimentary. You couldn't explain really super complex uh, concepts with uh, Celtic writing. But you could say, you know, Bill owns this, or this is the the land of the two rivers, or you could you could you could say things like that. You just couldn't get into great details on stuff. But um, as far as communicating something through secondary and third parties and fourth parties, uh, and, and if you needed to get a message from person A 
to person C by way of person B, then you could give them, you could give person B something to say to person C that only person A and C understood. Does that make sense? Did I say that in a way that makes sense? I think so, yeah. And I, I actually, you know, coming at it from the Renfair perspective, like, I don't have a resume to get a job at a Renfair, you know. Mm-hmm. To get a job, I go up to somebody and I say, hey, I want a job. And their question is, who do you know? Who have you worked for? And by knowing those people's names, I'm able to have that, I know this person. And then they can be like, oh, I know that person too. Okay, if you have the, the approval of that person, then you're okay with me. And so, you know, in days when you couldn't just call that person, you know, the idea that you have that, that uh, insignia of them or you have the name of them or you have something that really represents that you do in fact know that person, that is incredibly powerful. Yeah, if you think about it in the gaming world, um, let's say let's say you're in uh, some um, I can't remember what the letters are M M O R something a massive um, online player online playing game <laughs> yeah <laughs> if you're in one of those the first thing you want to do is you want to set up your person and you give him some name he's like you know big powerful guy with a hammer or whatever you want to call him and um, and you're going to have select friends within that game who know who you really are. And so if somebody just comes up to you and says, hey, uh, you know, um, I'm your friend in real life. Uh, let's talk about, you know, this and this and this. And you're like, I don't know you. You know, it, it's a level of safety within the gaming world to say some people know that in this game I'm named this, but in this other game I'm named that. And in this other game, I'm named this. And so it provides a level of safety that, y- that you can selectively allow people into your p- more private life and, and exclude some people from it. Yeah, and actually the Internet has brought back that idea of keeping your name secret because all of a sudden you have all of these alternative personalities and it is anonymous and you can be anonymous I mean, to a point, you know, but for the most part, you can be anonymous. And, uh, and it's, it's really brought back the idea of being cautious with who you tell who you really are. And there are some people, you know, for the average person who goes to work and comes home and feeds their dog, and it's not really an issue, but there are some people who it really is an issue. And if they're caught, doing the things that they're doing online, it can really mess up their life. You know, there are some people in the liberty movement who are very active online who cannot allow people in their real life to know that they are part of the liberty movement. Yeah, and fortunately, we did have a little bit of this experience coming into, uh, you know, coming into our culture through gaming, and it gave that a rebirth a little bit. But, uh, of course, immediately governments around the world start trying to uh, get their claws in there and forcibly find out every single person's identity online. And, And it's actually... You know, I, I, I give the, the government a hard time lo- a lot for being so slow and stupid about so many different things. But if you think about it, this is something that the government kind of, um, they kind of jumped on pretty quickly. And they're, not prob- they're probably not going to let go of it. They're probably going to pursue this pretty heavily. 
Absolutely. Well, registering and counting their, uh, their, their chattel is one of the first things that a, uh, you know, a, a farmer does. A slave owner? A slave owner. Well, I think we've more than hit our time frames because uh, even with the on and off, uh, you know, from Skype, I think we've probably maybe even gone over our time. So um, anything you want to tell the listeners before you take off on your next trek? Um, once again, I will go ahead and plug that if you want to, uh, to donate to the Kai Doesn't Die on the Mountain Fund, uh, you can do so at Bad Quaker. Uh, Bitcoin, silver, Federal Reserve notes, ramen, whatever you want to you know, donate would be much appreciated. Um, and also, you know, donating to Bad Quaker just in general helps all of us here at Bad Quaker. Okay, and thanks a lot for taking the time out and, you know, from the trail and everything. Uh, no problem. Thanks for, uh, thanks for sticking with me through all the Skype issues. Yeah. And folks, thanks for listening today, and remember to visit badquaker.com where liberty is our mission. Thanks a lot, folks. Bye. Bye.